Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode on Rising Above Shadows of Abuse, Raza. I'm your host, Grace Hopper. Any girl is mad during blistering accounts of rape, grooming, trauma, and ultimately redemption. Hurt and rawness life on every page. Any girl is a memoir of a horrifying experience, but it's also a sobering, not to mention timely, calls to uh, about men's violence against women and the realities of the sex trade. The sex trade websites, may I describe, somehow normalize the behavior that many men need, but cannot share with anyone else in their life. As she says, it's okay when everyone else is doing it, after all. This online culture helped me to feel that what I was doing was okay too. When we do not have a solid sense of self, it is so much easier to attach ourselves to people and values we don't necessarily know are good or bad for us. Groomed into prostitution. It took years to realize it was Mayor Doran's testimony, author of Any Girl, a memoir. Raped at 16 and fell into the sex trade. Stepping into the apartment, I saw the man who had booked me as an escort with his back to me. He was watching football on the telly. There were lots of empty takeaway boxes, packet of crisps. He didn't say hello. Neither did he make small talk. The men who paid for sex usually did. Feeling scared, I undressed in his filthy bathroom, then walked back to him. I realized he hadn't washed for days. He wanted oral sex. I tried to hide my disgust, afraid of what would happen if I backed out. Suddenly, he smacked me across the face and tried to rape me. He struggled to get away, but he pulled a fistful of my hair so hard I couldn't breathe. He forced himself on me. Afterwards, I sat in my car completely numb. How did I end up here? Growing up in Dublin, I had an ordinary middle-class upbringing with a loving family. But then my normal childhood changed forever when I was raped at 16. I had been drinking with friends in a park when a boy I met that night led me to a secluded area. We kissed before I passed out and when I woke up he was attacking me. I didn't report him or tell anybody about it. Instead, I minimized it and tried to ignore what had happened. Not too long afterwards, my friends and I were having a laugh over personal ads men had placed in the back of a local magazine looking for sex, and I decided to secretly text some of them. It was rather a stupid teenage behavior, which should have been harmless, but one man called Jay replied. Our messages became sexual and I knew it was inappropriate, but it seemed safe as I sat texting from my bedroom 
in a comfortable family home. The secrecy and attention were thrilling. I had no idea that he was grooming me. A year later, Jay asked to meet me at his home. In his mid-thirties, tall and skinny with ginger hair and a middle-class accent, he proceeded to hit and sexually assault me. Having been groomed and manipulated for more than a year, I didn't feel I had any other choice and was too afraid to object. As I was leaving, Jay unexpectedly handed me a hundred pounds. In a strange way, the money made me feel valued and wanted. Over the next three years, he abused me sporadically and gave me money afterwards, but I was too under his control to object. When I was about 19 and studying at the National College of Art and Design in Dublin, Jay asked me to meet an elderly male friend of his in a hotel room. I was too scared to say no. I agreed. The man beat and violated me, then handed over a hundred pounds. In that moment, something inside me clicked. I realized I was able to endure this level of violence, that this was a job I could do. By that point, I'd been so damaged by the rape and abuse, it seemed like a reasonable plan. The money seemed to reinforce that I was wanted and needed. It was evidence that my sexuality was valuable. Shortly after, I put an ad on an escort website. I know now that it was a form of self-harm. For the next four years, I served ordinary random men. Though I did manage to cut Jay out of my life, as my confidence grew and his hold on me lessened, I began to hate him. Some men were friendly, but the majority were entitled and rude. In their forties, fifties, middle class and self-assured. Many showed an undercurrent of violence in the way they pulled my hair or smacked me, and sometimes I sensed they wanted to enact worse violence on me. I was careful to keep them happy and look after them emotionally as I was naked and vulnerable. The whole time, nobody knew what was happening. I was studying, living with housemates, socializing with other artists and friends, going on dates with ordinary men and not telling them what I was secretly doing. The thought of being exposed never crossed my mind. It was as though I was living two separate lives. Then, in 2008, the attack happened. It shook me so much, it was like a switch was flicked, and I realized I didn't want to be an escort anymore. I was tired of it all. The fear, the risks, the men, and living part of my life in secret. 
Shortly afterwards, I moved to Berlin and got into a relationship where the sex was fun, free and easy. After we broke up a year later, I told him a bit about my past. There was no drama and he just hugged me. I felt relief and lightness, having shared the burden of my secret. I moved back to Dublin and knowing I needed help, contacted an organization that supports women affected by prostitution who understood and didn't judge me. It inspired me to begin training as a psychotherapist in 2013 and I now specialize in sexual trauma and recovery. Helping other people who've gone through trauma is a great privilege for me. Over the past eight years, I have written anonymously about that hidden part of my life. I supplied testimonies, articles, works of fiction, speeches and delivered a TEDx talk on rape. I have also volunteered on a domestic abuse helpline and collaborated with some extraordinary people and organizations working to end the epidemic of male violence against women. Four years ago, I began writing my memoir, Any Girl. Before the book was published, I had to finally tell my parents, who were oblivious to what I had been through. I've put off telling them numerous times for fear they would blame themselves. They were upset, but so supportive. I also wanted to tell my story to set right some of the myths about the sex industry. There are so many dramas on TV that glamorize prostitution when the reality of the sex trade is exploitative, violating and misogynistic. Men are knowingly having sex with traumatized women because they don't care. They have paid not to care and treat the women as products, rating them online out of five stars on appearance, value for money and satisfaction. I'm able to feel closer to people now that I don't have a big secret hanging over me. I've had to have some difficult conversations, but my friends and family have been there for me. I'm not in a relationship, but in future, I want to foster children in care who have struggled. I'll also like to have a family with a loving partner, Though it's difficult for me to trust men after seeing so many deceive their wives and families so easily. I've finally come to realize that I deserve love and to be loved whatever has happened to me. The experience lived by Mia from a young age is sadly redolent of many women's lives. Whatever their background and family life, she details just how easily being a victim of sexual abuse morphs into a resigned acceptance that sex work is a convenient way to make a living, yet in the longer term also has unforeseen and potentially tragic consequences. Any Girl, a memoir of surviving prostitution in Ireland out now. This week is Mental Health Week, and we are talking about self-harm or self-harming. Self-harm is an expression of personal distress 
rather than an illness, although it can be linked to other mental health conditions such as depression and bipolar disorder. Self-harm is also when somebody intentionally damages or injures the body. It is a way of expressing deep emotional feelings such as low self-esteem or a way of coping with traumatic events such as death of a loved one. Research has suggested that most 15 to 19 year olds suffer from anxiety and depression and so self-harm. Signs of self-harm are cutting the skin, burning the skin, punching your own body, poisoning yourself with tablets, misusing alcohol or drugs, substances, eating disorders such as deliberately starving yourself, anorexia, nervosa, binge eating or bulimia. Most times, people who self-harm keep it a secret because of shame or fear of discovery. For example, they may cover up their skin and avoid discussing the problem. It may therefore be up to close family members and friends to notice when somebody is self-harming and to approach the subject with care and understanding. The signs may include unexplained injuries and signs of depression or low self-esteem. Someone who is self-harming can seriously hurt themselves. So it is important that they speak to a GP about the underlying issue and about any treatment or therapy or counseling that might help them. While self-harm may bring a brief sense of calm and a release of physical and emotional tension, it's usually followed by guilt and shame and the return of painful emotions. Life-threatening injuries are usually not intended, but it's possible that more serious and even fatal self-harm could happen. Getting the proper treatment can help you learn healthier ways to cope. What are the symptoms of self-harm? They include scars, often in patterns, fresh cuts, scratches, bruises, bite marks or other wounds, excessive rubbing of an area to create a burn, keeping sharp objects or other items used for self-injury on hand, wearing long sleeves or long pants to hide self-injury even in hot weather, frequent reports of accidental injury, difficulties in relationship with others, behaviors and emotions that change quickly and are impulsive, intense and unexpected. Talk of helplessness, hopelessness or worthlessness. Most frequently, the arms, legs and chest and belly area are the targets of self-injury, but any area of the body may be a target, sometimes using more than one method. Becoming upset can trigger urges to self-harm. Many people self-harm only a few times and then stop, but for others, self-injury or self-harm can become a longer term and a repeated behavior. If it's your child, you can start by talking to the pediatrician or the healthcare provider who can do an initial evaluation or make a referral to a mental health professional. Express your concern, but don't yell at your child or make threats or accusations. Teenage friends. Suggest that your friend talk to parents, a teacher, a school counselor, or another trusted adult. Adults. Generally express your concern and encourage the person to seek medical and mental health treatment. You can get help from your mental health provider, a counseling or psychotherapy team. You can also get help from your general practitioner or doctor and help from Crisis Lifeline or the Samaritans. What are the causes of self-harm or self-harming? 
There is no one single or simple cause that leads someone to self-harm. In general, self-harm may result from poor coping skills. Non-suicidal self-harm is usually the result of an inability to cope in healthy ways with stress and emotional pain. Difficulty managing emotions. Having a hard time controlling, expressing or understanding emotions may lead to self-harm. The mixture of emotions that trigger self-harm is complex. For example, there may be feelings of worthlessness, loneliness, panic, anger, guilt, rejection and self-hatred. Being bullied or having questions about sexual identity may be part of the mixture of emotions. Self-harm may be an attempt to manage or reduce severe distress or anxiety and provide a sense of relief. It provides a distraction from painful emotions through physical pain. You feel a sense of control over the body, feelings or life situations. Feeling something, anything, even if it's physical pain when feeling emotionally empty. Express internal feelings in an external way. Communicate feelings of stress or depression to the outside world. Punish oneself. Teenagers and young adults are most likely to self-harm, but those in other age groups do it. Self-harm often starts in the preteen or early teen years when emotional changes happen fast, often and unexpectedly. During this time, teens also face increasing peer pressure, loneliness and conflicts with parents or other authority figures. Certain factors may increase the risk of self-injury, including having friends who self-injure, life issues, mental health issues, alcohol or drug use. Self-harm can cause complications such as worsening feelings of shame, guilt and low self-esteem, infection either from wounds or from sharing tools, permanent scars or other permanent harm to the body, worsening of underlying issues and conditions if not properly treated, severe injury that could possibly lead to death. It can increase the risk of suicide because of the emotional problems that trigger self-injury or self-harm. The patterns of damaging the body in times of distress can make suicide more likely. Prevention. There is no sure way to prevent someone's self-harming behavior, but reducing the risk of self-harm includes strategies that involve both individuals and communities. Parents, family members, teachers, school nurses, coaches or friends can help. Identify someone at risk and offer help. Someone at risk can be taught how to better manage stress and deal with life's problems. The person can learn healthy coping skills to use during periods of distress, like mindfulness, meditation, having proper self-care, breath works, just to mention a few. Encourage supportive social networks. Feeling lonely and disconnected may be a part of self-injury or self-harm. Helping someone form healthy connections to people who don't self-harm can improve relationship and communication skills. Raise awareness. Learn about the warning signs of self-harm and what to do when you suspect it. Encourage friends to seek help. Peers tend to be loyal to their friends. Encourage children, teens and young adults to avoid secrecy and reach out for help if they have a concern about a friend or family member. Talk about media influence. 
news media, music, and other highly visible outlets that feature self-harm may nudge children and young adults with mental or emotional issues to experiment. Teaching children critical thinking skills about the influences around them might reduce the harmful impact. For more information on this topic, contact riseandaboreshadowsofabuse at gmail.com. This has been Grace Opa for Raza, Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. See you on our next show and be safe and be positive. Bye for now. You can leave your comments on our social media handles or our email address. <laughs>